Welcome to the Chicago Golf Tour Podcast, sponsored by Sub70 Golf. Sub70 Golf is the number one direct-to-consumer golf equipment company based out of Sycamore, Illinois. By cutting out middlemen and unnecessary overhead, Sub70 products are roughly half the cost of other OEMs. Everything is custom-built, and they typically have one- to two-week turnaround times. With a full equipment line from driver through putter and options for everyone, go check out Sub70 Golf at golfsub70.com. All right, folks. Welcome back to another edition. As always, we got the big man in the house. How we doing, Big Rob? Good at yourself there, Tom. I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Um, weather looks pretty cold next week, Rob. I think we're starting to finally get that winter, that winter cold, that winter cold front coming in. Yeah, I mean, I going out today was freezing, and then what? We're supposed to get like three inches out my way tomorrow, at least. So really, not looking good. Yeah, I didn't Mm -hmm. see that. Um, I just saw the teens for next week. Um, you know, besides that one, one week in December, I think, like I said before, I think we've been pretty lucky, but it looks like we haven't escaped yet. Um, I I feel like we might get pounded this last month before, you know, spring arrives. I just hope that it it could be cold. Just don't dump snow on us. Just that's fine. I agree with that. Keep it dry. Keep it, keep it cold. That's fine. Right. Well, you know where it wasn't cold at. And that was at the American Express. Did you catch any of that over the weekend? Uh, you know, I watched a little bit here and there. I didn't, you know, I saw Ram and uh, Davis go back a little bit. He, I mean, that was pretty impressive. The first few days by uh, Davis, man. I'm sorry. His uh, putting was pretty sick. Yeah. You're talking about Thompson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kid. Yeah. He, that flat stick was rolling, man. I felt bad for him on, uh, was it 17 when it hit the stick? Yeah, I think that kid could be something, man. He's got a solid game. Yeah, that was impressive. And even that chip on 18 was good. Um, you know, it's just, a, I mean, that whole game looked pretty good. I mean, I, the couple of Eagles I caught him put in, and it was uh, it was entertaining for sure, what I watched. I mean, Rombo, I think I called that, didn't I? But, I mean, obviously, he's, it's one of those fields that he's he's supposed to win it anyways. But, yeah, it was pretty good. I, I always like to... Um, I think we talked about it before, but the contrast in the fairway and the rough, you know, yep. with the with the overseeding yep. and everything. So, oh yeah, you, you sure did call that. We both called it. Um, you love mm-hmm. that pick. I liked it as well. Again, you know, Rombo is is on a tear. Um, for whatever reason, I just had a feeling going into the end of the year, the guy was pissed off, man. And you know, Rombo pissed off is not a good thing. It's like poking the <laughs> right. bear, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just seems super hungry, and this could be a, a massive year for him. Guys on a tear. I mean, we saw this last year from from Scotty. It was almost like, you know, after every tournament that ended, you're like, dude, this guy won again? Like, what, yeah. what's going on? Um, and to your point, last week, what is this? This is now Callaway's third event in a row. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Speaking paradigm. of Callaway, did you see that they signed Bob to sports? Oh, they did? Yeah. Was that today? Today. It was announced today? Yep. Which is shocking because it's some of those videos earlier. They all the stealths talking about the stealths and whatnot. Yeah, I so I think mainly if I had to guess, I think Fat Perez was probably the one who was able to pick because I, I think he's a Callaway guy. I don't think Bob and and um 
Joey. Let's see. I I don't think they really care. I've always way. tried to like zoom, like figure out what clubs Joey's playing and what clubs Perez is playing for irons wise, because I could never really tell from that. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head um, what Perez was before that. I think he had kind of a mixed bag. I'm not sure what his irons were, but nonetheless, I mean, good for them. Um, yeah, I mean, all the all influencers now, I mean, I think they got everybody between all the big brands and all the top influencers. So you got influencers. I did pay more attention to the LPGA this weekend, though, because I wanted to see what the foreplay uh, boys did. Thought yeah. it was very interesting how you could follow it online with the Stableford and everything. So that yeah. was entertaining. I, I Same. I listened to their pod, too, last night on the way home about it. Um, basically, they were just saying how nervous they were and how it's not yeah. the same as, you know, going out and just filming around like they normally do. So they knew they were going to catch a ton of slack. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Especially, you know, Riggs for for shooting like an 88 or whatever he shot. And then uh, what um, Frankie, what, went 87, I think, on Sunday. So it got him by one point or something like that. So yeah, that that's funny. what they were talking about, too, is Riggs was pissed that that Frankie got him. Um, but I don't know. For, for whatever reason, I, I've kind of been off the, the foreplay pod lately. Um, I... Oh yeah, no, I, I still sort of watched it just to see what they were done. Oh yeah. I mean, I still you enjoy know. watching some of their content, but I don't know. I think it's D rap. I just I'm not a fan of D rap. Um yeah. You know, I Lurch was whatever. Um, I think he added some value there, but um, you know, when he was there, but it just I don't know, maybe it's just old news, not sure. But I mean, I still continue to listen to their podcast here and there. It's it's decent, but um yeah, those guys were saying how how ridiculously nervous they were the entire time. Like it just never went away. Um, so they weren't used to that and they knew they were going to catch a ton of slack. Um, but yeah, I mean, good weekend for golf, good ending to another tournament. Did you see the whole read thing with Rory today on the driving range? Yeah. <laughs> Tried to say hi to him and then threw a T at him. Right. <laughs> I don't need, I, I was that even real? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I you know, working all day today, I was just checking Twitter a little bit and saw multiple tweets about it. Didn't see an article about it or any pictures, but it's like, come on now. If that's true, we're we're, we're to that level now. Right. 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 So, but, so uh, it'll be the, that'll make the Masters interesting, right? I mean, oh, yeah. all these together. Yeah. The Masters is going to be awesome. Um, speaking of next week, Rob, we have the Farmers and we're going to jump right into the bookie with T picks. Do you like, who do you like this week? Do you think Rom goes back to back? I mean, good possibility. He does like Tory, right? Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna stick with that. Going Rombo again? Mm-hmm. He is hot, but it is awfully hard to go, you know, back to back to back. So for all the history start, yeah. Right. But uh T's picks, his long shot, Rogers, 130 to one, Stallings, 110 to one. Thigala, 55 to 1. Day, it's an awfully interesting pick. Day, 25 to 1. And his, <laughs> and his uh, leader or his favorite, Xander, 12 to 1. And you could book it with T. Rob, we had an unreal guest on this past week. Yeah, it, it was it was a great conversation, man. It was uh, sort of eye opening, but it was very like, it made you think, right? Made you, you know, contemplate your next round for sure, at least for me, because. You know, seeing off the tee and everything like that. Oh, yeah. And we mentioned it last week. So for those listening, we had 
uh, Lou Stagner on. And I got to apologize to Lou Rob. I was so nervous last week. I like didn't even introduce him. So <laughs> everybody well, you can, introduce, that, you can introduce him now. Or that's okay. what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I figure most of our audience knows who, who Lou Stagner is. If not, uh, Lou Stagner is like, he's the best on Twitter. And, and all he does is, is tweet out amateur stats via, um, he's a data analysis for Arcos. So he has access to just tons and tons of, of shots and, and amateur data and, that's where he does um, these stat comparisons on Twitter, you know, pros versus like your, your standard amateur. And the stats are fascinating. And to be honest, you know, he's been hands down my favorite guest we've ever had because he speaks our language. Like there, we've had, you know, a bunch of different guests on and they've been awesome, but there's been nobody on our show to date that has talked about amateur golf and exactly what we do. And like I said, he just spoke our language. Everything that he kind of said made sense. And, you know, it was like, as he was talking, you were just like, oh, yeah, wow, that's that's incredible. Because you're starting to think in the back of your head, like, sure. yeah, maybe that maybe I shouldn't do that or or yeah, whatnot. We just but, we need to follow it. That's that's the biggest thing. Right. So <laughs> we had Lou on uh, this past week. We recorded previously. We're going to tie it in here. So check out this interview uh, with Lou Stagner. All right, folks, welcome back. We have a very special guest, Mr. Lou Stagner, Mr. Manage Your Expectations himself. Um, Lou, we were just talking. I don't think there's ever been a more suitable guest to have on our show. Um, obviously, you know, we're a, a large group of amateur golfers, and you constantly put out amateur golf stats. So welcome to the show, Lou. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So. Lou, let's start in an area where there's a ton of conversation, a ton of disagreement, agreement amongst not <laughs> only not only amongst amateurs, um, maybe sometimes in, in the in the pro level, but obviously that's kind of outside the scope of of the amateur game. If we're being honest, um, let's talk about the three wood and, and the driver off the tee specifically. So statistically, does three wood really? You know, three wood over driver off the tee for amateurs. Does it really make sense? Um, I love that you're diving right into the controversial topic. So yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. No, no easy, no easy start here. Let's just go jump right into the deep end. Um, so for most amateurs, uh, like like anything in golf, there's no absolutes, right? I, I can't always say always this and only this. Uh, but for many many amateurs, they are better off hitting the driver. Um, you, you pick up a little bit of accuracy with the three wood, sure. but you don't pick up enough to offset the distance that you lose. Mm. Uh, so hitting driver is typically going to be the right play. Like I need a really good reason to not hit driver. Um, again, this, this is all player dependent. So, you know, understanding how big of an area you need for your driver um, and how much space in between uh, hazards, how far away you need to have a target from a hazard if it's just on one side. Those are all really important things to know and understand. And every player is different. You know, there's some amateur players I've worked with in the past that are, you know, 10, 12, 15 handicaps, and they need 85 plus yards of room. So if there's 
And if you're in a, uh, on a golf course in Florida with houses on both sides, right. uh, an OB on both sides, you, you, I'm sure you've played many of those. Um, they need 85, 90 yards of room. Um, and if they don't have that, they're not being optimal by hitting driver. They're going to hit too many balls out of bounds. And so for us amateurs, the most important thing is keeping the ball in play. Right. And so what you need to understand is how big of an area do I need with to, to hit my driver safely? And if I have enough room, then I typically should be hitting driver. Um, if you are going to hit three wood, it's typically going to be so you don't reach something. So if there's, you know, if there's a, a, a really nasty bunker, maybe that you're trying to avoid, or if there's water in play that, uh, you know, starts at some point on the left or right hand side, and you're trying to eliminate that. Mm-hmm. And your three wood's not going to reach. You know that's when it's okay to hit the three wood. But if you are, you know, standing up there, and you're just saying, you know, I really need to find a fairway here. I'm better off laying back with three wood. That's not the play. Um, mm. You just want to you want to rip driver as much as you can. <laughs> Perfect. And and not to throw my guy Rob under the bus here, but Rob, when's the last time you hit driver? Um, I mean, I, I do pull out occasionally, but I feel like more comfortable with a three wood knowing that right. I have a better chance of going down the middle of the fairway than spraying it left and right. But I guess, you know, how you said the distance makes sense. Maybe I just got to be more, just push the driver more. Yeah. And you know, everyone is different. And so there are some players um, that can struggle with the driver and, and have a, you know, need a massive area. Like you look, you're a pretty big dude. Like I'm guessing you hit the ball pretty far. Like just knowing nothing else about your game, just looking at you, I'm guessing you get it out there. And, you know, if you're an amateur that has some speed and you have a little face control issues, that can result in some huge misses. Right. right. And, and I, um, you know, I used to fall into that pretty heavily um, where I can I can miss it both ways and I could miss it a, a, a lot both ways. Uh, some really big misses. And so if you fall into that. Um, you know, there are some things you could obviously do about it, you know, go see an instructor and work right. on those things and try to get better. Um, but I would encourage you to try to figure that out. Uh, the, the other thing that, you know, might be interesting to try is, and I've been posting about this a little bit recently, there's been a number of people um, that I've known that have swapped out their their driver shaft. Like, you know, they had typical 45, sure. 45 and a half yep. shaft. And they put really short shafts in their driver. And it's amazing. Um, you would think that they would lose distance, but they don't. Um, right. What happens is they. it's a lot easier to strike the center of the face with a shorter shaft. It becomes easier. And so they don't, their best hits don't go as far, but their worst hits go farther because they, they're hitting uh, more towards the center of the face on more of their shots. Sure. And so their, their overall distance kind of evens out. And they tend to pick up a little bit of accuracy, a little bit, um, with the shorter shafts. So that may be something to investigate for you if you're struggling with driver. I mean, that makes sense because I find myself, especially on holes that are long and you know it's tight, I find myself choking down on the driver and taking that easier swing. And I do find the center of the face on most times. I mean, I feel like I lose a little distance, but I feel like it's more control. So that that does make sense. And I think what Ricky Fowler did that a few years ago, didn't he? Drop down his driver shaft i believe so 
Yeah, you'd be surprised. A lot of guys on tour, you know, they're not playing 45 and a half inch shafts, you know, but, you know, you walk into me by any club and standard is around that length, typically um, 45 and a half inches. And that's, it's, you know, if you're a 10, 12, 15 index, it's, it can be tough. I just posted something today showing dispersion across the face on driver. I really? think I put okay. a 15 index, a, a couple of 13s 13. and a plus four up there. And if you look at the images and, and there, there are multiple hundreds of shots with each, each one of these players. And th this was not, you know, representative of all 13 handicaps or all 15 handicaps. These are specific individuals over many, many sessions um, on uh, GC quad where I can get face data. And it's amazing to see how all over the face these players are. Um, and from some of the players I've known that have tested out the shorter shafted drivers, that that strike pattern on the face goes from like all over the face to gets a little bit tighter and more towards the mm. center. That's super interesting. I wonder, <laughs> yeah, I wonder why, why is the 45 inch, you know, standard if that's the case? Would you say is that just? Um, I mean, I don't want to pick on the equipment companies. Sure. Um, but I mean, I, I when you you know put a good swing on a forty-five and a half inch club and you hit it dead center, dead nuts, um, and right. you got a you know decent delivery uh, on the club. You know the face isn't eight degrees open. Uh, ball's going to go farther, right? It's a longer sure. shaft. It's right. Typically, you're going to swing it a little bit faster. It's going to go a little bit farther. Um, but the danger for us amateur players as weekend warriors people you know that are working full-time um all week and can't hit balls eight hours a day is we hit it all over the face um and th that you know when you're when you're hitting you know an inch and a half towards the heel that doesn't result in good outcomes and so that shorter shaft of driver it's something to investigate now i, I would i would caution you to not just, you know, go out in your garage and grab a hacksaw and, <laughs> right. and chop four inches off your driver, like go to a fitter because you're sure. going to change the swing weights. Right. Uh, you're going to sure. want to get somebody to, to help you through the process, but right. it's worth testing out for sure. That's oh, yeah, super interesting. Um, so speaking of that data that you just shared with us there, Lou, uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do with Arcos? I know we, we discussed earlier, you got about eight or nine jobs, but what do you specifically do for Arcos uh, in terms of data? Yeah, I'm, so I'm their data insights lead at Arcos, um, and I've been helping them on their journey as they continue to evolve and grow their application. So Arcos, for those that don't know, um, there are sensors that you purchase um, to install on the end of your grips. You either screw them in um, or you can buy grips that come with sensors already in there. Um, and then you get to the course, you open up your phone, you turn on the app, um, and it's going to automatically start collecting all of your shots for you, keeping track of your scores, keeping your data. And um, you either put your phone in, the, in your pocket or there's a little device. Uh, I don't think anyone can see this because you guys are audio only, but it's called the link. And if you don't want to put your phone in your pocket, you put this on your belt um, and right on your hip, and this collects all of your data. So you could technically get to the course, start your round, leave your phone in the car, just put this on your belt, and it's going to collect all your data for you. And then you use that to get um, you know a myriad of stats about your game to, to see what's going on. Um, and so I'm, I'm helping them as they continue to evolve the product. Um, I'm a presence on social media. I put a lot of stats out there. 
uh, do uh, some things behind the scenes, helping them with uh, you know their infrastructure and things like that. So it's been awesome. They have a, they're a great, great group of people. Um, and what uh, is most exciting for me is how much they continue to evolve and make the product better. You know, they're not content to just um, you know kind of go with what they have at the moment. They're just constantly trying to push the envelope and make things better. So it's it's cool to you know be a very very small tiny part of that and you know kind of see what's going on behind the curtains. Very cool, very cool. We're also on YouTube there, Lou. So oh, you are all right. So yeah, you are, right. So there you go. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's the link. <laughs> Well, you don't want people to see this face, though. That's that's the only problem. We, I'm used to audio only on my podcast. Um, I'm not <laughs> yeah. used to. Same. Uh, we're 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 trying to grow the uh, the YouTube channel, but that is very cool. I've never seen kind of a, a belt application like that. Um, that is pretty cool. Uh, I'm I'm a little weary about using things that you know, especially in the golf game, that like go on your your golf glove or on your hand or on the club itself. So that's kind of nice that it's kind of you know hidden so to speak on your goal, you, you don't really, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Um, but I also think that Arcos, I would imagine, you know, they have a vault full of, of, of data that you have access to. And that's kind of like your little playground. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, we're creeping up on, uh, 585 million shots in there, uh, Holy crap. which to put that in perspective, um, so I also have access to ShotLink, um, uh, doing some work for tour players, um, and ShotLink uh, is what they use on the PGA Tour to collect mm -hmm. data, and they've been using it since uh, you know 2004 was their first official year. They used it a little bit before that, but there's only 24, 25 million shots in in ShotLink, um, and Arcos mm. is going to hit 600 million, you know, in the next few weeks um, wow. here. So it is a massive, massive number of shots. Um, and there's really not much that I can't look at. So if I want to know how, you know, single digit players perform from, you know, 127 yards in the fairway when the pins cut on the right and the wind's coming off the left, um, you know, and, and the moon was full that night, I can, I can, I got plenty of shots to see how people do in, in that situation. Wow. The, That's so awesome. The, it's that detailed? Uh, we do have weather data. Um, yeah, wow. I, I don't know when the moon is full or not. I could probably figure that out. But um, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we do have weather data that uh, that's that's part of it. Um, and there's a, a, an AI caddy that people can use on the app while they're playing. And it, and it takes into account wind and will give you some adjustments in real time. But I can use that after the fact to see how... Uh, players are performing in different kinds of wind and, and how much of a difference the wind does make, whether you're into the wind, downwind, right. you know, quarter, quartering off the left, hurting, quartering off the left, or, or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's pretty fascinating to look at, at things like that and see how it actually impacts, you know, performance and, and, you know, how big of an area we hit the ball into. Sure. I recall that thread you actually did, uh, what was that last week? Uh, or maybe the week prior where it was basically, you know, wind in your face or, you know, behind your back was, was really the, the most telling, uh, between the, the data that you've gotten opposed to like left to right. Is that correct? Am I getting that right? Well, yeah. I mean, wind definitely makes it, you know, more wind, the, the more challenging it gets. Um, it's interesting when you're downwind, um, 
you know, you can, and I'm going to generalize here, but downwind, you can be a little more aggressive. Um, you can, you know, you don't need as much room with your driver, for example. Um, if you typically would need, you know, 75 yards with your driver as a safe amount of room, downwind, it's going to be less than that because that downwind, it's going to straighten things out and you, it doesn't go as far offline. Mm-hmm. But into the wind, it magnifies it, right? So no wind, you'd need 75 yards. Downwind, you might need, you know, 68 yards. And into the wind, you might need 84 yards. Um, just making some numbers up as I go here. So it makes a pretty big difference. And, you know, this also applies to approach shots as well. So you can get slightly more aggressive when you're straight downwind, um, and you can you need to get a lot more conservative when you're when you're straight into the wind. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and that's super interesting. I wonder if there's if there's any kind of um, you know with the with the wind at your back, for me at least. I wonder if there's kind of a mental aspect to that of kind of just a smoother, maybe slower spin, opposed to just your normal swing with you know, no variables, nothing like that. And then you have the wind in your face where you feel like you have to swing hard for some reason. I wonder if that factors into that at all. You know, that definitely could be, um, you know, it could play a role in it because, you know, you're, I know exactly what you mean when you say yeah. that, because I, I feel the same way downwind. Um, it, it just feels different to swing when it's straight straight down wind versus into the wind right you know you're, you're definitely almost, adapting and making different motions uh for sure it's almost like you're hitting a punch right you, you kind of saw it off and, and hit it a little bit more smoothly and yeah like but some people it, it just it throws a lot off you know the wind d- definitely does have an impact and um uh, but that being said, just the wind itself is going to magnify misses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, forget about what you're doing. You know, once the ball makes contact and it leaves, if a ball is, you know, t- if the axis is a little bit tilted and it's going to spin one way, um, it's going to spin and curve more if it's straight into the wind and it's going to curve mm-hmm. less if it's straight downwind. And so that effect right there um, kind of helps to, straighten things out when you're downwind um, and make things go a little more offline you know, when you're into the wind. Gotcha. That, that makes yeah. a little, yeah, that makes a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, so what is the most telling amateur stat that amateurs refuse to acknowledge because they don't think it applies to them? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all the above. Uh, yeah. All the above. Uh, boy, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, you know, we could, probably dive into my DMS and I could come up with a laundry list of all the things that people have said are, are wrong and incorrect. My, my, um, my favorite was what about a week ago where the, where the guy said, you don't play in my group. Like I don't need math. Oh, yeah. Of course that, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and we get a lot of the same DMS and emails with the tour. So I'm assuming, you know, we could probably talk for days uh, on certain DMS, but go ahead there, Lou. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, always surprises people is is wedge play, um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, this with wedge play for tour players. Um, you know, our exposure to tour players is you know most most of the time is on TV, watching them on TV, and when you're watching on TV, you know you're typically the weekend rounds are going to get more. Uh, of your attention, you like the the viewership on Saturdays and Sundays is a whole lot bigger than Thursday and Friday. 
And on the weekends, you're typically seeing the best players. Um, you're typically seeing players at the top of the leaderboard. That's what they're showing the most of. And so you're you're watching the best players in the world on the PGA Tour. And not only are you watching the best in the world, you're watching the best in the world that happen to be playing well. Um, and so that combined together means we're seeing kind of a highlight reel of what's going on. It's a very different picture than an overall of what's going on out there across all four days and, and all the players that are in the field. And so we have this, this warped um, impression of, of how good they are. Now, these BJ Tour players are incredible. They're literally the best in the world. And it still boggles my mind that there are, you know, it's not one person, you know, in his mom's basement that thinks he should be like a tour pro. There's a lot of people that think their stats should be similar to a tour pro uh, because tour pros are playing harder courses and I'm playing easier courses. And and that always, I, I don't understand that because the PGA Tour players are literally amongst the best few hundred players on the planet. There's, you know, 60, 65 million golfers in the world. We're talking about the best few hundred. Like, I don't think I can throw a football like Josh Allen. Like, I don't think I can dunk like LeBron or, <laughs> you know, or, you know, shoot threes like Steph. I can't do any of those things. But golfers, for some reason, you know, we feel like, you know, I should hit my, I should never miss the green with a wedge from 100 yards. Well, tour pros do, you know, miss the green, I don't know, like 17% in that situation. And they're right. really good. They're a lot better than you. Um, and so I think <laughs> amateurs put a lot of um, unnecessary and, uh, you know, incorrect pressure on themselves around how they should be performing. And I think some of that is influenced by what they see on on TV and and I think what the hard part might be is, you know, even, uh, you know, a high handicap player every once in a while is going to hit it really pure. They're going to hit a great shot and they're going to they're going to hit it really tight. And if they were going shot for shot against the tour pro on that situation, they may, may have beat them in that situation. But, you know, ask them to hit 100 shots and, you know, the, the high handicap has no has no chance. So, you know, wedge play is one of the stats that uh, I think people struggle with quite a bit. That is super interesting. Um, not only the the PGA Tour aspect of that, and you're totally right. If you tune in on a round on like a Thursday or Friday, you know, when the event kicks off, you'll see some not not awful shots, but some some errant shots, so to speak, right? And then, like you said, it kind of gets dialed in, dialed in, and the the gap gets narrower as you know Saturday and, and Sunday uh, come on, especially the final round. And to your point, they are only showing, you know, the top maybe seven guys on the leaderboard. And of course, all of those guys are, are playing really well that week. So I never really thought about it like that way. And it, it does make a ton of sense. Um, and then also to your point, too, is I think that shot that that 15 handicap has is what keeps us coming back. Right. It's like, sure. It's like, yeah. well, I could do that. You know, I could do that over and over again. And, but really, to your point earlier, it's like, well, no, you can't. It's this game is very, very hard. Um, and, it, and it takes a lot to be really good at it. But I think by them just getting a taste of it, you know, in, in the back of some of these guys' mind, they're like, well, this really isn't that hard. Yeah. Um, and, and we have very warped expectations. And I think where that hurts amateur players is when you don't have expectations that align with your skill level, you can actually end up doing damage to yourself. And so what I mean by that is you might be um, a pretty decent wedge player for your skill level. We're talking about wedge play. So you might be a really good wedge player 
you know, for being a 10 handicap or a 12 handicap. Um, but you might have expectations that are completely out of whack. They're so far out of line. Um, and because your expectations are so far out of whack, you get around where you have a number of wedges and you hit, you know, mediocre shots that day or, you know, okay shots for your skill level. And you get mad because you didn't hit it to 10 feet and you get angry and that anger and frustration as, you know, reactions to, you know, what was a really good shot for your skill level, yep. um, but you got mad anyway, that ironically can cause you to start hitting wedges poorer. You can start to get worse at that skill because you, you think you should be better than you really should for your skill level. And you start to get mad and angry and playing golf when you're mad and angry and frustrated and upset, you know, pick the word. It's a hard thing to do. Right. And, and so you can cause yourself damage by, by doing that, which is why, you know, it's so important in my opinion to, to track your stats and understand where you are. Um, and so that you can, you can see how your skill level rates in every part of the game compared to different skill levels. So if you're a 10 handicap and you want to be a five, you can see how you perform against 10 handicaps. You can see what the typical five handicap does. You can see what parts of your game actually need work as opposed to guessing. And a lot of people guess, um, there's, you know, you guys have heard of Justin Rose. Pretty good player. Yeah. Um, when he started to, so the story is when he started to go, and I forget who told me this. Um, when he started working with Sean Foley, he showed up and he's like, My wedge game's horrible. It's funny, it's about wedges. My wedge game's horrible. I'm a horrible wedge player. And Sean Foley like, went and looked at the numbers and he's like, What are you talking about? You're like the second best wedge player on the PGA Tour. Like, what do you? But he had this warped sense about Ooh. his own wedge game. So we have these internal biases. Um, and then we kind of, we feed those when, you know, I, you know, you hit a kind of a squirrely wedge shot and you just, you, that confirmation bias kicks in and, and you say to yourself, I'm a horrible wedge player. Um, and when you hit a good one, you're like, well, I should always do that. And then when you hit another bad one, you're like, oh, I'm just the worst wedge player. I'm the horrible wedge player. And you kind of feed your own narrative and create your own narrative. And, and that's probably what Justin Rose did when the numbers said you're literally one of the best in the world at this. So you're not bad at this. Like we don't need to spend any time here. So tracking your stats and understanding what parts of the game you need to work at is really important. And there can be very, very big discrepancies for players of the same skill level. So, so on your tour, there's probably a bunch of 10 handicaps on your tour. You could yep. put a, you could put three, 10 handicaps all next to each other. And the first one, um, Putts like the typical average 10 handicap player. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the other 10 handicap next to this person putts like the typical scratch player. Yeah. And the one next to this person putts like the typical 20 handicap. So you could have, and then remember, they're all, you step on the first tee, what's your handicap? I'm a 10, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. They're all 10 handicaps. They're all going to get 10 blows being out there. But right. one of them putts like a scratch. The other putts like a 20. That is a wide, that is a wild, wild difference in skill level, a scratch yeah. putter versus a 20 handicap. And you can, you, you will find that with 10 handicap players. So knowing what you need to work on, um, is really important. So if, if all three of those players came to me, um, the player that putts like a scratch, I'm like, you don't need any putting work. Like we're not, we're never going to, you know, just maintain and keep your skill. The right. player that putts like a 20 we're going to work on your putting and we're going to get that better. So 
I don't mean to go down a, a, a stat rabbit hole, but it's so important to know that for your own game if you if you want to get better, so you know exactly where to focus your time. I mean, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and I I don't know if truer words have ever been spoken on this. But I, I just <laughs> I'm just sitting here shaking my head because literally it's it's stuff we deal with uh, on the regular. Um, and to your point, like I I think that's why there's this misconception of like. You know, don't get me wrong. There's there's definitely sandbagging everywhere you go, right? Oh, but yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of to what you were just speaking of. You know, you can get a, a small sample size of 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 guys, and you know, one could be a phenomenal driver of the golf ball. One could be a great putter. All of these different attributes, you know, are so mixed in between. But you'll get a guy who say is maybe like a, a D driver, right? And he hits the ball and. Everybody looks over and they're like, this guy's not a 12 handicap. But then you get him, you know, mid-range and he's throwing, you know, maybe darts with his wedges or maybe he puts like uh, a seven handicap opposed to a 15. So there's all these different, you know, variables that take place that I, I don't think people really, I think they neglect to, to see it to what, to your point earlier. Um, and then, you know, what's great about it is it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, all of those strokes or all those, you know, pops that people are getting are essentially deducted anyways. And then you kind of find out, you know, your, your true potential. So um, I just think there's a, a, a pretty cool correlation to, to the example that you just gave, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you brought you bring up a uh, always an interesting topic of sandbagging. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, um, it's, uh, it's a it's a hot topic everywhere, isn't it? That's for sure. It is. And it's in I. I so I kind of, I weigh on the side of, you know, I always give um, the benefit of the doubt and I like to hear the backstory and, you know, we definitely do our due diligence here and, you know, uh, we do some detective work and, you know, we have guys <laughs> upload scorecards. We'll even pull the phone out and, and give uh, a random attester a call and say, hey, tell us about Bob's round last week. You know, what did he get on for, if you remember? Like, there's there's a lot of things that we do to kind of combat it, but you're obviously always going to have it, right? Um, especially at your your most notable tweets is the, the club championship, right? They always seem to come out during club championship times. Um, but I, I think what we were just talking about has a lot to do with that because I, I think guys only see a certain part of somebody's game. They're like, there's no way this guy could be a five handicap. But they don't play a full round with them. They just – they maybe see the, the shot where uh, – you know, or the category of his game that he maybe is, you know, the worst at. They don't really see his best shots or a collective number of shots over a period of time. So I think a lot goes into that. I don't really necessarily think you could kind of gauge somebody um, by playing a couple holes with them. Um, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not at all. And so I actually re very recently did um, did a, a pretty in-depth analysis on tournament scores versus casual scores. It was really interesting to, to see across, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rounds, how people perform in casual rounds versus actual tournament rounds. And I think by and large, um, I tweet about it and joke about it quite a bit. And I think by and large, people are very honest. Um, and I think, you know, legitimate handy bagger, uh, le legitimate sandbaggers with their handicap are pretty few and far between. I think pr pretty much people are honest. 
And anybody can go on a heater for four, five, six, seven holes. Like I could get a quarter out right now and I could flip a quarter 10 times and heads could come up eight times. Mm -hmm. It could come up nine times. And that doesn't mean heads is 80% likely going forward. It's not, it's 50, 50, but over a short run, uh, people can play well uh, at any handicap level. They can play well. And um, so I, I agree completely with your point that it's really impossible to ju judge somebody after three, four, five, six holes, um, because anything can happen uh, over three, four, five, six holes. Um, now, do I, I think there's potentially some people that, you know, game the system a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Um, sure. But I think that is the, the, the rare exception um, and is not very common, in, in my opinion. I'm still going to tweet about it because it's funny. And <laughs> sure, I, like to, right. <laughs> I like to bust the chops of my buddies that I call sandbaggers. So um, Sure. Well, a thousand percent. I, yeah. Again, going back, Rob, how many, how many DMs and emails do we get about yeah. You know, and it's I mean, and it's. But you're right, though. Anybody, you can go on a heater. You could you could have the round of your life once in a, once in a while, right? So you can, all, yeah, for sure. But at lesson, if we play together and you beat me that day, you're a sandbagger. That's just how it <laughs> is. Like if you take my money, if I have to pay you at the end of the round, you're a bagger. Right. That's that's just my standard rule, and I think sure. it's 100 correct. Right. <laughs> no, I, I I'm not going to argue that one. Yeah. It's actually that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I don't like when you get in my pocket, so I, that's when you're just being a little little angry there for for about five minutes, and then I get over it. So going going back to some of the the stats um, that we just talked about, uh, Lou, where where do you think amateurs should be spending most of their time, uh, whether that's on the range or practicing? Obviously, it's it's fully dependent on their game, right? Um, you know, maybe if they're struggle putting, putting, but let's just take let's just take a, a standard a standard amateur who's pretty average in, in all, in all facets of his game, right? From your data, what does the data show you where amateurs struggle the most? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're talking about the typical amateur that, that performs like, you know, let's say they're a 12 handicap and, and they perform like the typical 12 handicap in every part of the game, right? There's not, you know, they're a great driver of the ball, but they're a horrible putter and that offsets and they're 12. Sure. Um, let's say they're just a 12 handicap ish across all facets of the game. Uh, if you want to get better, um, you got to be a better ball striker. And so off the tee and iron play is extremely important. And there is a, the farther away you get from the hole, the bigger the skill gap becomes. So, you know, Brad Faxon, um, Denny McCarthy, um, co my, my co-host on my pod, Greg Chalmers, those are the top three putters in the history of the shot link era. And if we had a putting contest with them from six inches, we're just as good as they are, right? We're going to, we're, we're, we're never going to miss. They're never going to miss. We're going to be just as good as they are from six inches. Now, if we go out to eight feet, they're going to be a lot better. Now, if we, now if we start to get irons in our hand and we get out to 175 yards, they're, so much better than we are from 175 yards um, as a typical amateur. This is actually something we talked about recently. I'll, I'll quiz you guys on this one because yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly. So um, PJ Tour players from 175 yards in the fairway, what percentage of their shots, again, PJ Tour players, 175 yards in the fairway, what percentage of their shots finish 
more than 90 feet from the hall. So more than 30 yards from the hall. I, th- I think I know this answer. So I, I, I believe I've, I've seen it on your Twitter. Okay. I'm not hundred percent positive. So I might be DQ'd. Rob, have you seen this before? I did not. So okay. I'll let you Rob take would, Rob would be, Okay. What do you think percentage wise? Uh, 65%. Lou, wasn't it somewhere around like, uh, this is outside. So outside of, so bad, these are bad shots right this way. How many bad shots do they hit from 175 yards? Wasn't it roughly a third somewhere? 1%, 1%. Wait, what? Uh, 1%. So they, they're really good. They only hit. They only hit one out of 100 shots more than 90 feet from the hole from 175 yards, right? They're getting it on or around the green a huge chunk of the time. Right. But 15 handicap, 41% of the time, which is a massive, massive difference in skill. It is just, it's, there's miles and miles of difference between a tour player and a 15 handicap. Yes. They're not even playing the same sport. No. So it's just a, a massive difference. So if you want to become a better player, um, you need to be a better ball striker. So you need to um, hit the driver um, as long as you can, um, making sure you take into account penalty strokes and other hazards. So get the driver out there, learn how to make really good contact with it, become a good iron player. Um, and that is the biggest difference between, you know, us weekend warriors and really good amateurs. So you got to become a better ball striker. Now that's, this doesn't mean you should stand on the range and, you know, rake seven iron after seven iron and hit driver after driver. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some ways that you can practice effectively. And most amateurs are not practicing effectively. They're practicing very, very poorly. um, And it, it does not lead to lots of skill development. So I would strongly, strongly encourage you to find a good instructor to work with, you know, try not to go down the self-serve rabbit hole and figure it out on your own, get a good set of eyes to help you not only with, you know, creating a swing that's functional. Um, and I use the word functional. It doesn't have to be pretty. We're not all going to, we're not all, you know, built like Adam Scott. We're not, we're not all going to swing the club like Adam Scott but we can have very functional swings. So uh, work with a teacher that's going to help you to create a functional move. And then also, you know, work to, to um, get some effective and, and quality practice habits. Um, and there's a lot that you can do, you know, even in your own home while you're you know, standing in front of, front of the TV uh, in your living room, there's lots of things you can do that are going to help out your game. So um, but but I would encourage you to not go solo. Find somebody to help out with that for sure. Ball striking is is definitely. I love that answer. It's not the answer to be honest that I thought you were going to give, but it absolutely one hundred percent makes sense. Now, yeah, there's definitely. You know, um, I would say the the add on to that is like if you're not the typical player, which most of us aren't. You know, uh, most of us are not exactly average. If we're a twelve handicap, we're not exactly average in every category. There's something that we typically do better. Um, so you might be a, a, a great putter and a horrible driver of the golf ball. Right, um, right. You might be a, a horrible putter and a great driver of the golf ball, which is why it's really, really important to know your stats and your game because you're not the same as every 12 handicap out there. Right. And if you know the weak parts of your game, you can focus <laughs> on those and help to um, 
take your weak parts of your game and make them stronger, which is a pathway to improving quicker. You know, if you're a great driver of the golf ball or you're a great putter, uh, people sometimes tend to skew towards working on the things that they're good at. Um, And we need to work on the things that we're not good at. And tracking your stats and understanding where you fit is really important so you can make intelligent decisions about where to spend your time. Now, if you do, if you have eight hours a day to practice, you can, you know, you get a lot of latitude to, mm-hmm. to, to spend however you want. But if you're like most of us and you have very limited time, you have to be like a ninja with how you spend that time. Right. Definitely. So there's, there's something that I've always like, I'm very interested in the up and down game, right? I feel like as an amateur scrambling all the time, is there, is there specific proximity from the green where amateurs have a better chance of getting up and down from? Um, you want to try to get the ball as close as you possibly can um, okay. <laughs> from wherever you are, you know, you know, laying up to your favorite yardage on a par five, not a good idea. Um, you want to get the ball as close to the hole as you possibly can with every swing. So uh, a good rule of thumb is advance the ball as far as you can, as often as you can, making sure to take into account penalty strokes and other types of hazards, trees, OB, water, all those things. So laying back to a yardage you're more comfortable with is costing you fractions of a shot. And, you know, are you, um, the way that when you look at the data, and this is true for tour players, it's true for amateur players, you'll start to see, you know, big deltas in things like proximity and other stats. If you go from 200 yards to 175 yards, like they start to hit the ball a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And if you go from 175 yards down to 150 yards, they definitely, you know, they do better from 150 than they do from 175, but that difference starts to get a little bit smaller. Right. And so when you go from a hundred yards and in every yard closer, you're going to start to get a little bit better. Um, but you're not going to, it's not a massive difference. Right. And so that's why, you know, when you're 40 yards away, 50 yards away, 35 yards away, does it feel great to hit it to 18 feet? No, it really doesn't. But you are going to, on the average, hit it closer to the hole from 40 yards than you will from 85 yards. Uh, so you're trying to get the ball as close as you can. You know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, approach shots that are going to be, you know, where you're able to hit the green, um, you, the most important thing to consider is, um, you know, where's the flag and how can I not short side it? And so, you know, not short siding yourself in golf is extremely important Mm -hmm. when you short side it, it, it becomes a whole lot more difficult to, to get the ball up and down and make a par. Um, and it's something that the players that I work with, it's what we, one of the things that we focus on and, and I don't just look at where the pin is. Um, it, you know, if I have an approach out to the green, I want to know where the pin is and that's going to help me pick a target. And then if I want to start to understand how dangerous that target is, well, I want to know how close is it to the edge? Okay. It's right at, you know, it's four yards off the edge. Okay. Well, that makes it even tougher. I don't want to short side it for sure. Hmm. And then I want to know like the slope around the green. So if I happen to short side it on that side, what's the slope of the green doing? Is it running away from me? Would it be uphill? Um, if it's running away from me, this starts to make that short-sided shot even harder. I want to know elevation change. So how much elevation change is there between the level of the green and if I miss the green on that side? Uh, anything more than two feet, 
it is kind of an inflection point where that starts to get a lot harder. And so if there's a four foot, five foot drop between the level of the green, and if I miss the green on that side, that's you know another red flag that I throw up. And then I'm also interested in the wind and, and the wind, not just the wind on the approach shot, but what is the wind doing if I, when I miss the green and I have uh, that little chip shot, pitch shot, flop mm-hmm. shot, if it's right. downwind, it makes it a lot tougher. And so, you know, if I have a pin that's cut on one side and um, the green would be sloping away and it's more than a two foot, um, it's more than a two foot elevation change and it would be a downwind, you know, chip shot, flop shot. Like those are three massive red flags and I'm shifting my target way away from all of those things because you've all been there. You're a golfer, right? We're all golfers here. You've been in situations where you've short-sided it. You're in the rough. It's downwind. It's running away from you. And the green is four feet above where you are. Like you're hitting that to 25 feet, 20 feet all day long. And the only way you're making par in that situation is by hitting it to, you know, hitting a a 20 foot putt and, and dropping it. Um, and what also happens in that situation for us amateurs, which makes it even more of a red flag is we get there and now we're trying to hit these cutesy little flop shots and we still leave it. We miss the green yeah, right. short yep. and now we're in the same kind of situation. So, um, you know, make sure you're taking into account where the pin is. You want, we want to avoid short siding it. Um, mm-hmm. and we want to try to get the ball as close as we can, as often as we can. So I know it's a lot there, a lot to untangle, but uh, hopefully that uh, gives you a little bit of guidance on on how to tackle those things. That is yeah. super interesting. Um, I would have thought numbers would have been maybe a little bit wider compared to, and this is just arbitrary, right? So maybe a, a 50 yard shot you have left, right? Compared to, let's say like a full 58 at like whatever, say 85 somebody's a full 58 so don't you think amateurs often think because it's a full shot at say 85 compared to hitting a half 52 or even maybe a three-quarter 54 that they believe that you know that's a better shot for them opposed to the closer to the hole yeah i mean there's a lot of amateurs that believe that and i looked i did a really deep dive in arcos on this where I looked at players and I compared them to themselves. So Mm -hmm. I found players um, that had a ton of shots in like the, and and I forget exactly what the numbers are. It's out there on Twitter somewhere. But, uh, you know, I looked at how they performed from, you know, in those partial wedge ranges, you know, 40 to 50 yards, 50 to 60 yards, those partial swings, that's not a full swing. And then I looked at how they did in more full swing shots, you know, like 80 to 90, 90 to 100, you know, def- full swings for most people, you know, 100 to 110. And there was only a minuscule percent of players that um, were better with the with the full swing uh, and what was interesting is when i looked at those players it was pretty obvious because i i found these players it was a really small percent i forget what it was i want to say it was maybe three percent of the players four percent five it was a really small number and i looked at those players and 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 so these are players now that were these they were actually doing better with a full swing you know the other 95 percent did better from closer. These players did better with a full swing. I looked at those players around the green and it became pretty obvious pretty quick that they probably had a pretty severe case of the yips going on. 
which oh. can can ha- like their their chipping and pitching around the green was horrific. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing all of those players that were struggling with those partial shots had some some yippage going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know, if you fall into that category, then you know I can I can understand. I've seen a few people struggle with that. I wouldn't wouldn't wish that on anyone. So, right. but if that's not you, then you need to get the ball as close as you possibly can. And you know, so what did you say? Eighty five yards was that what you said? Eighty five yards versus what? Yeah, I, I think I throw out eighty five and fifty. Just all right. It. So eighty five for a ten handicap. I got is ten handicap a pretty you know fair number? You yeah. get a lot of people yeah. on ten and you're twelve. Yeah. So. All right, so 85 versus 50 yards is a difference of about 0.14 shots. Wow. So 0.14 shots, 85 versus 50 yards. So you're going to be, on the average, if you played a whole bunch of uh, shots from 50 yards, a whole bunch of shots from 85 yards, you're going to average 0.14 shots higher from 85 yards than you would from 50. Um, And all of those little chunks, they all add up, right? So... Is it, you know, are you going to save three shots by doing it? No, you're going to save, you know, 0.14 in every situation, but those little fractions all add up. So if you're constantly laying back to a full number and you're doing that three or four times around, you know, you're costing yourself a half shot per round by not trying to get it closer. Right, right. And going back, Lou, to kind of your approach into an approach into the green, I thought this was actually pretty interesting. And, and kind of my next question is, you know, don't you think that amateurs would kind of fare better if we just, if we kind of just took the pin out of the the equation and went to the center of the green for every approach shot? Um, is there some kind of data behind that? You know, obviously, if if you have a tuck pin, say, maybe five and seven off the left, right, and you have a bunker, you know, short left, obviously, we don't want to be left. You don't want to be short-sided. Um, is there some type of data that you could, um, you know, give us that, that kind of correlates with just going at the center of the green, you know, two putting and get out, getting out of there with a par? Um, in many situations that would be, you know, that would be wise for amateur players. You know, again, it it depends on your (laughs) skill level. It depends on the situation. Uh, it depends on how big the green is. Um, if a green is massive, you know, aiming to the middle of a green that is 12,000 square feet um, is very different than aiming to the middle of a green that's 3,200 square feet. Sure. Um, So we want to hit as many greens as we can. Uh, We want to get the ball as close as we can. So we're trying to balance those things, right? And and so always picking the middle of the green is is not, you know, is not... um, exactly what i would tell someone to do all the time yeah uh, firing at every flag is not someone is not something <laughs> i would i would tell someone to do um so it, it's it's important to uh try to hit as many greens as you can and also still try to get the ball as close as you can which means sometimes you're going to short side it you just will you can't right. you, you know if you played ultra conservative you're gonna you know you, you'd miss too many greens you'd You'd be too far away from the hole. So you kind of have to find that balancing point. And, you know, sometimes you're shifting targets away from the middle of the green to avoid trouble. Like us amateurs, we're typically not very good out of the bunkers. And so you need to start shifting away from those things. And then depending on the situation, you know, there's one of the players that that I work with, one of the college players I work with, um, and he's really, really good. He's 
you know, top 10 in the world amateur golf rankings, um, played in a couple of majors last year. Um, he's a good player. And there was an event that we were prepping for. I forget where it was. It was out in the West somewhere, Arizona or somewhere. I forget where it was, but there was a hole that was just a par three. That was just crazy, stupid, difficult. It was full carryover water. Um, a, a green that was ish and it was like from 180 ish right around there. And the green was like as shallow as 12 at Augusta. It's all over water. There's this giant hump behind the green with like knee high. It was knee high grass. There were like triple the amount of like doubles on that hole as there were birdies. It was such a crazy difficult hole. I think it averaged like 3.7 or some crazy numbers, a par three for D one college players. And in that situation on that hole, the target that we had for this player was off the green. Like we, we were, we, he was not trying to hit the green um, on this par three because there was no safe spot anywhere on that green for this player to try to hit the golf ball. Um, Cause the green was just ridiculous. Now, could he have taken it at some of these flags? Sure. Would he have hit the green some of the time? Sure. But there was way too much trouble in play with, with how shallow the green was, the water that was in play and essentially the hazard that was over the green. Um, so, you know, just by default, kind of going back to your original thing, saying center of the green all the time, it's not all the time, but for us amateurs, it's going to be a, a pretty good chunk of the time. That's for sure. Definitely. That is also very interesting. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. This, this last question, Lou, kind of, it kind of correlates with what I just asked you. Um, what's the most important stat relative to scoring for amateurs? Is that fairways and regs, green and regs, number of putts, um, something that you kind of see that's, that's very glaring when it comes to amateur stats. Well, one, I would, I would tell you, um, that if you are, uh, very, if you're motivated to try to improve, I would encourage you to, to start tracking stats where you're going to get strokes, gain data on yourself. So Arcos is going to give you that um, not a sales pitch for Arcos. I mean, ultimately, I don't care if you you know do this on the back of a napkin. But if you if you're trying to get better, you need strokes gained information. The old stats that they had are not very good. They're not a true indicator of performance. You know, putts per round is something a lot of people keep. It's a horrible stat. Um, you know, if you have 30 putts that day, that doesn't tell me anything. You yeah. may have missed a ton of greens. Right. So you may have only hit two greens that day and you were you were around the green 16 times and you hit two greens. And so when you're around the green 16 times, you're chipping and you're very, very likely to chip the ball a lot closer than if you're hitting an approach shot from you know 125 yards away. That that chip shot is going to, on the average, end up closer to the hole. So you're starting closer to the hole. So yeah, you're gonna naturally have fewer putts. Sure. So, you know, if you have 30 putts and you hit two greens, that's very different than having 30 putts and hitting 16 greens. Those are two right. very different days with the putter. So that stat is not very useful. So I would encourage you to, to do something and use something that's going to give you strokes gained. If that's not your cup of tea and that's not what you want, the most important stat I would tell you is greens and regulation. That is going to have the, you know, the highest relationship between you know how good of a player you are your skill level is you want to hit as many greens as you possibly can 
Um, you know, there's there's some things to be aware of there. There's some nuances there. Um, you know, there's a club that I, I played at a few years ago here, really, really tiny greens, super tiny greens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're at a club that has really, really small greens, you're not going to hit as many greens. If you play at a course that has greens that are massive, you're probably going to hit more greens. So you have to you have to be aware of the you know the course that you're typically playing on, right? And how big the greens are, and you're going to have to adjust that a little bit in your head. And so greens and reg extremely important. Uh, fairway hit percentage is kind of useless. Um, I don't really care if you hit the fairways. Fairways are the most overrated stat for amateurs. Um, I just want you to keep the ball in play. Right. Um, I want you to hit the ball relatively solid with your driver or whatever you're hitting off the tee. Hit it relatively solid. And that last comment was directed at you, Rob. So a <laughs> little, little, little poke to try to get to hit driver a little bit more. Wait, um, call me a sandbagger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The two, two, two. I can say that because I'm a big keyboard tough guy because you're way <laughs> yeah, over there. And yeah, right. You can't get right. around. Um, so uh, fairways don't really matter. I, I want you to keep the ball in play and I want you to limit how often you're you know, hitting it into trouble. Uh, so we want to minimize penalty strokes, minimize hazards, minimize hitting it into the trees, just keep the ball in play. For amateur players, there's not a huge difference in playing from the fairway versus playing from the rough. So PGA Tour players have a pretty big um, discrepancy from a similar yardage. So whatever yardage you want to pick, 150 yards in the fairway versus 150 yards in the rough. On the PGA Tour, depending on the rough height, it's going to be anywhere from two tenths of a shot, a little bit less to a half a shot, you know, with maybe around a third of a shot being kind of typical. Amateurs typically only have about a tenth of a shot difference, maybe a little bit more, tenth to an 11th, you know, 0.11 shot difference from fairway to rough. Yeah. So it's not, it's not that we play rough that's easier. Uh, I think overall, that might be true. It might not be true. You know, a lot of rough on tours, two and a half, three inches around there. Um, they certainly let it grow as the week goes on. There's a lot of courses I'm sure you play where, you know, they cut the rough twice a week. And if you catch them on day three and they haven't cut it in three days, it can be pretty long and hairy. Right. It, so it's it's not that we're playing easier rough than them. It's just they are so much better from the fairway than we are. So they're taking advantage of being able to control their golf ball from the fairway where us amateurs, we can't do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some amateurs actually, depending on the rough in the course, they're, they're actually maybe a little bit better from the rough than they are from the fairway. Some amateurs, depending on the, on the rough and what it's like, because, you know, us amateurs, our low point control isn't, you know, isn't always great. It's certainly not as good as a tour pros. And so when we have a ball that's fluffed up just a little bit, our low point, you know, that's where, you know, the, the club is striking the ground. Typically we want to hit the golf ball first and, and then the turf after us amateurs, we're not all that good at it. When it's fluffed up a little bit, it gives us a little more margin for error. So being in the fairway is not important at all. That was a long winded uh, way for me to say, don't track fairway percent track, you know, how often do I keep the ball in play? Like right. what's my in play percent? Like when I want to know the percentage of tee shots where I have a reasonable opportunity to hit the green in regulation. So that's either from the fairway, 
from the rough, you know, relatively wide open swing. I'm not coming out sideways from the trees. Makes sense. Eliminate, <clears throat> eliminate the big miss, eliminate the uh, poly strokes. Fairway versus rough was very interesting. I'm assuming, to your point, <clears throat> a lot of that has to do with spin, especially for, for tour players uh, from the fairway, you know, compared to, to amateurs. Um, yeah, it's spin where they, they, you know, they can, they, you don't know what kind of spin you're going to get out of the rough. It's a guessing game. You're going right. to guess a little bit and it's going to be a little bit reduced, which is, you know, on tour, it's going to impact their ability to hold shots, but they're not exactly sure what spin is going to come out of the rough, depending on how it's sitting. They're guessing a little bit and they don't have as much control over, over their golf ball because they're not exactly sure how it's going to spin. So the, uh, you know, we're, I wish I was as good to, to, to care about those kind of things, but I, I'm not. So stop <laughs> tracking fairways and just get it out there and keep it in play. You're, you're at like a two handicap, I think, I believe. Yeah. Oh. I'm a 2.2.4. Um, I played, I was down around scratch for a lot of years. Um, yeah. this is a while ago before my daughter was born. Um, and, and then, you know, kid, family, you know, job, yeah. all the things that get in the way of golf. Um, you know, I, I went from, you know, being, you know, between a, I never got to the plus side. I was 0.1 was my lowest index ever. I would hover between, you know, in the ones and in, in twos down occasionally dipping into the zero points. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I, I was up, you know, between, you know, six to, you know, 10 not, when I was hardly playing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then over the last few years, uh, I started to play a little bit more and, and now it's back down to, I finished the year 2.4. Hopefully I get to plus this year. I've never, that's the goal. I've never gotten there. We'll, we'll see. Um, it's going to, going to take a lot of work. Yeah. So you could play, you could definitely play. Um, <laughs> so you're the so, sandbagger. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I go into my pocket all the time with my buddies. So, and they, they take each one of those dollars that I give them and they remind me. Right. Well, Lou, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for the, the great stats. Uh, as always, definitely give Lou a follow on Twitter. Um, like I said, one of the best follows in the game, especially for, you know, our, our target audience, our members, um, guys looking to, to get better and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, in terms of stats, how you could do that. So give Lou a follow. Um, as always, Lou, we appreciate it and, uh, best of luck in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. And I'd love to uh, get out and play one of your events this summer. Maybe that'd be fun to make that road trip. Absolutely. Come there on you go. All right, Lou. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, folks. Welcome back, Rob. What a unbelievable episode that was with uh, yeah. Mr. Lou Stagner. Yeah, I'm going to have to put the three-wood away um, more and take back the driver out and just go for it, I guess. Yeah, super eye-opening. Um, again, unbelievable. Lou just, he gets it. He speaks our language. We love having him on. Um, I think we are going to have him on again, you know, hopefully shortly, but he loved it. Uh, he's all for it. You know, he said kind of the same thing. You know, your audience is great because it's, it's, it's the guys that I'm tweeting about. So, right. Um, thanks again, Lou and Rob, we're going to jump right into the top three. Are you ready for the top three this week? Yeah. Let me hear him. Okay. Well, this, hear is, this is kind of a, a stolen top three from, from Bob does sports is I think last episode. All right. So but I want to know, Rob, Barb does sports. Got it. Yeah. I want to know. What are the top three things you hate to do? <laughs> I didn't see that Bob was for us last week. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what they said. Um, top three things I hate to do. Well, I'll give you a hint. 
so like example a couple of theirs were like laundry oh okay dishes like stuff like that um number three would be like i don't know how it is at your house but like you know one weekend you do you know a, a surface clean and then the next weekend you do a deep clean and then the final week you do a surface clean type deal thing and i just i hate the deep clean just you know you work monday through friday and you know that's the last thing you want to do especially when there's football on or golf on a sunday yeah, or a Saturday yeah. and just, you know, tackle the house and do a, do a deep clean. Right. Uh, so that'd be my three, uh, number two, you know, I hate having to take out the garbage Tuesday mornings, like roll to the street. Like that irritates me. Like yeah. growing up on the South side, you just walk out to the backyard, you throw it in the fucking can and you walk back in the house. Like, right. you know, it's five thirty, six o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, rolling it out there. Um, that's just, I hate it especially when it's cold out and then my number one thing i hate to do is raking fucking leaves i hate raking leaves raking leaves is for the birds rob oh i hate it so okay a couple things so you're manually still raking leaves i do we do like a fall spring cleanup but like you know from the service but when you know he he comes and does it you know the first week of november or the second week of november you still have leaves do you, have a, until, do you have a leaf blower? Yeah, yeah. You you don't blow. You just don't blow them off. Well, then, I mean, I I have I have a uh, the corner lot of the cul-de-sac, so I have like two huge trees. I got neighbors' trees. That's I mean, it's a shit ton of leaves, man. You just, guys have a service that comes in vacuum, or no? I wish like Hin- Hinsdale and Lyle have it, but we don't have it. All, you have to bag them, and they take them for free. But you still have to bag them. I can't just blow them in, into the street. So that's right. where it kind of sucks. Yeah, that does suck. And yeah, you do have a, a big lot. So that is yeah. that is annoying. Um, I have a couple similar ones. Number three is, is the garbage. Not just because it, it blows, because <laughs> you know you got to bring out the garbage and the recycling. Um, right. But also like during the, the, the nice weather, you also got to bring out you know, the third can, which is the yard waste, but it's not even yeah. so much doing that, like the actual labor, it's remembering to do it. Right. Because if you miss a week, it's like, especially if you have like a big week and, sure. you, and you look like a hillbilly and your sure. oh, yeah. hands overflowing, it's like, fuck. It's like, you know, it, it's basically just the weekly reminder yep. slash. Yeah. During the winter when you forget about it and it's like, you know, like you said, six in the morning, it's freezing out. You got to yeah. roll. Yeah. So no, like fuck that. Yeah, cans. Cans is number three. Um, number two, I'm in the same boat with you is in terms of like a deep clean. So we kind of I fell in, uh, I took the bait. Um I don't know how to politely say this, but there was, you know, some conflict here, <laughs> uh, in terms of cleaning. So I took the bait. We hired a cleaning lady. She comes like every three weeks. No, we had that pre-COVID, and it was yeah. great. She came like every other week. I would go right back to it, but it's uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, there's nothing better than coming home to just an sure. immaculate house. And yeah. to your point, it's more of just like a surface clean. Um, but it's it's great to have, and it's worth it because you're not spending, you know, your Saturday Sunday, you know, sure. three hours, four hours cleaning. So, yeah, yeah it's it's um, it's it's helped. All around here, 
So oh, sure. Yeah. The morale is different. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Number one, hands down, laundry. Can't stand it. Why? I don't, I don't mind do laundry. You know why? Because is it the folding? No, it's the same thing as a train. I don't like being on a schedule. I don't like being on somebody else's schedule. I don't like having to wait for the clothes to be done. And if if you don't time it right when they come out of the dryer, you got to redry them. Yeah, it's just a it's a it's a death cycle. You just got to keep doing it. Same thing with a washer. If you leave them in there for like a day or two, they start to stink. You got to wash them again. So you got to like wait. Who in the right mind does a load of laundry and just lets it sit in there for a day or two? I'm just saying, like if you throw in say your last load, and you know you're running around for a day, and then you come back go to do some laundry, it's like well shit. This I'll I'll just rewash it. But mainly my thing is like, I don't, I don't like being tied up for like two or three hours just for laundry. Sure. If I'm sitting on the couch and, you know, there's a load in the, in the dryer, sure. I'll take it out and fold it while I'm watching TV. But yeah, laundry stinks. Hate it. Just not my cup of tea. Give me, I'll take the dishes all day. I'll take, you know, I'll take washing floors. I'll take anything else besides laundry. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, would, I meant to say honorable mention is the kids' toys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could straighten up all you want, you know, and then you turn around and it's right back to toys fucking everywhere. Yeah, dude, it's just a constant. I well, now that she's moving around and well, flying around, you're just like a constant vacuum. You're just picking yeah. up after. It's crazy. It's a battle. Um, oh yeah, that is a great honorable mention. Or that are just like little you know little hand marks everywhere like on the walls <laughs> on the cabinets it drives me insane the, fucking, the picture window drives me insane i can't tell you how many times that, i tell my kids that take their hands off the picture windows yeah. and it's just i mean and I, my I, tv and my tv it's fucking yeah i just walk around with a magic eraser in my back pocket <laughs> yeah, right. just follow lily around um but no, what a great episode. Um, again, Lou was great. Can't Lou wait was- to have him on uh, another time. But uh, until then, Rob, we'll... Uh, oh, hold on. Don't forget about the merch drop. Yep. You guys listen to this tomorrow. You got to Monday, January 30th to get your orders in. Got right. quite a bit of those in the last week, so that's good. And then yep. uh, don't forget the golf show coming up too next month. Yes. The end of the month golf show at Rosemont. Uh, more importantly, the merch drop. Yep. Definitely get your orders in. Um, but until next week, Rob, we'll, uh, we'll see you in the fairway. See you in the fairway, Tom. See you, buddy.